Good morning. Uh, my name is Logan Gentry. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Lower Manhattan Community Church. Uh, we are very glad you're here. We are a community that trusts and believes in Jesus Christ. Um, and that we believe that God loves you, that he made you. And we believe that God has something to say to you, to give to you today. And we don't know if that's going to be through singing with you. We don't know if that's going to be through the words that God has given me to share this morning or through prayer you receive after. But we believe God is here amongst us, uh, active and moving. And we invite you to just be open to what God has to say to you this morning. If this is your first time, um, we would love to get to know you. You'll see QR codes uh, around the room. If you scan that, it'll take you to a place where you can submit uh, your name and your email. It's a chance for us to follow up and invite you into what's going on in our church. I have a couple of announcements before I get to my message today. Um, the first is for our youth, for students in middle school and high school. We have a youth brunch immediately after service. Uh, it's going to be in this building on the eighth floor. Um, right after service, if you go over by the water, they will, um, they will not the water out there, the water um, dispenser by the coffee, um, they will lead you into where the brunch is going to be. So we're excited to kick off our youth ministry today. Um, the second announcement that I have is that next Sunday is going to be special and unique. It is our annual Mission Sunday. And we're actually going to go up. Yeah, it's exciting. We're going to go up on the 12th floor. Um, and instead of gathering in rows like we are now, we're going to sit around tables with our partner organizations. A chance for us to worship with them, but also for you to get to know them. Um, we want to create a deep connection with the work that we see being done around our city to care for those in greatest need, to care for those in greatest um, trauma that we might be a part of what God is doing in our city in helping heal and restore what's been broken. Those are just the two announcements that I'm going to highlight for you. Um, a few weeks ago I said that I'm going to take a moment every now and then to highlight our vision and mission as a church. And I want to highlight a portion of that today because it applies to our message. And so I want to reiterate for you what our vision and mission is so that you grasp where it's coming from. Um, our vision as a church is to see all people and all things transformed by Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that we center around that idea that flows into a mission of what we do, which our mission as a church is to humbly and relentlessly pursue the promises of God by following his call for us to do a series of things, eight of them specifically, but I want to highlight one. Today, I want to highlight that part of our mission and what we relentlessly pursue is that of healing. That we believe we are a church that seeks healing together. And by that, we mean to pursue wholeness in mind, body, and soul. Today, my message is going to, is going to be focused on the mind. And I want to highlight that we pursue healing of our minds because we recognize that our minds are affected by what we think, our minds can be affected by mental illness. We take that seriously, but we also believe there is hope for anyone that is going through difficult thoughts or facing mental illness. And so as a community, we partner 
with you if you are interested in counseling. And the way we do that is we kind of try to go 50-50 with you on the cost in order that there would be no hindrance to you receiving the care and the counseling you need because we want to be alongside of you as you pursue healing in your mind just as we believe in healing for your body and your soul. So if you're interested in that, you can find me, you can find Jasmine or Phil after service, and we can get you connected into how we care for people as a church. So we'd love to do that. All right, as we focus on the mind today, uh, this is our final episode of our Successful Spirituality sermon series, where we've been looking at what is a spirituality that can be successful in every circumstance, but also what is a spirituality that we can channel all of our success through so that it's not only good for us, but it's good for all. And so as we do that, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word in the Scriptures. We've been looking at the words of Paul in the, Philipp- in, in the book of Philippians, and we are finishing where we started today. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 through 13. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true... Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is God's word. Go ahead and have a seat. A few weeks ago, I heard an interview with uh, Esther Perel. Esther Perel is an international best-selling author, and she is a Belgian psychotherapist. Um, and what was fascinating to me about the interview was not about her books, not even about her practice, but about her story. Um, she is the child of Holocaust survivors um, who, after the Holocaust, immigrated. And she tells this story about being amongst a group of Holocaust surviving families. And the conversations they would have with one another was, does your family talk about what happened or do they never speak of it? And what she began to highlight is that there is a difference inside of families who speak about surviving tragedy and and trauma versus those who do not speak about surviving trauma and suffering. And she said, were there stories that were formed in your home, stories of survival, or were they stories of suffering? She says, if the emphasis is avoiding and not speaking of the tragedy and the difficulty and the suffering you faced... It breeds into this family system that you should be afraid of what could come into your life. And it breeds into this idea of I must control my life as best as I can to avoid tragedy and trauma coming in 
because it is too hard to speak about. It is too hard to face. She said, what that begins to breed inside of a system is such a fear of suffering that your life begins to get reduced smaller and smaller and smaller. And you begin to play into this narrative that that's who you are. You are one who suffers. In contrast, she speaks of a home that speaks to surviving the Holocaust, that doesn't shy away, doesn't go into the nitty-gritty, awful, ugly details, but does speak to what it takes to overcome, what it takes to get up every morning in the face of trauma, in the face of suffering, and see what surviving and overcoming could actually look like. And it breathes into the system that you are someone who triumphs, that yes, life can throw a lot out of you, at you, but you can overcome whatever life throws at you. I mean, if you think about it, she's basically saying, if you survive the Holocaust, what can life really throw at you after that? And she says, the story that we tell ourselves can be one that is shaped by trauma or shaped by triumph. The comedian Hannah Gadsby picked up on this idea and said that you learn from the part of the story you focus on the most. Which story are you telling yourself? Which story are you allowing your thoughts to play over and over in your mind about who you are, what you've been through, what you've overcome? Where do your thoughts go when facing the challenges of life? Depending on the circumstance. And it's led me over the last couple of months to wrestle with a question about Christianity. And the question is, is Christianity defined by the cross or is Christianity defined by the resurrection? Is it defined by Jesus being crucified and experiencing the worst trauma imaginable? Or is it defined by an empty tomb of a Jesus who stands up afterwards, wounds in his hands and his feet and his side, but victorious over Satan's sin and death and everything that life threw at him? Now you might say, can you really put one over the other? And I'm not saying that you can have one without the other. But I do want you to hear the words of Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. See, when we look at Christianity, what I want you to see is that we are shaped by the cross. We are set free and forgiven by the cross, but that is only because of the resurrection. And the stories that we tell about Christian faith and about who we are as a community is defined by the resurrection. Because it's the resurrection that says what Jesus did on the cross matters, was victorious, was finished, and was final. And so we tell a story of triumph. We believe the words of Jesus that says, you will face trouble in this life, but fear not, for I have overcome the troubles of this life. And so we join in that story of Jesus. But I wonder if your understanding of Christianity is actually more defined by the cross. Do you focus more on that part of the story? Or do you focus more on the part of the story of the resurrection? The part of the story you focus on matters. It is what you learn from and is what you live for. Because I want you to see that the crucified Jesus is now and forever the resurrected King Jesus. And the call of Paul in this passage is to let your thoughts be directed towards that King Jesus, 
resurrected, pure, excellent, praiseworthy. Because I believe that it is your mind that will manipulate the success in your life. Your mind will influence and shape and guide what success looks like and what you seek. And that's what we've been talking about this series, is that every single one of us, whether we share the Christian faith or not, has a spirituality. The question is how you are channeling that spirituality. Early on in the series, I defined spirituality like this. It's how you channel your energy through desire and action to produce life or death. That you wake up every day with passions and decisions that have to be made and how you channel that will produce life or death in your life and life or death in those around you. And the call for us who share the Christian faith is to take on a Christian spirituality. And the offer to you today is that you could take on a Christian spirituality. That you would channel your energy through Christ to direct your desires and actions towards good as God defines it. Towards good as God defines it. And as we look at this passage, I want to focus on the mind today and look at what a Christian mindset could look like. How a Christian mindset could be channeled through Jesus in such a way that your desires and actions are transformed so that you will live into a new way of life, a new form of success as for good as God defines it. And I want to use three words to try to emphasize that. Three words that I think come from this passage from Paul and other writings from him that help us inform this passage. Those words are imagination, transformation, and invitation. Imagination. So by imagination, what I believe Paul is calling you to do in this passage is to engage your mind towards excellence instead of being guided by every thought. Engage your mind towards excellence instead of being guided by every thought. Now I get that from the verse in Philippians that we just read. I want to reread it for you. Philippians 4, verse 8. He says, Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He said, it's a command. It's saying, direct your mind. Think. Other versions translate this idea of dwell. It's this idea of meditation. Where are you sending your thoughts as opposed to just what thoughts are you having? That you have to engage that. And what I want you to hear from this is that Paul's words are countercultural to the Philippians. They are counterpoints to the Philippian imagination, to the context that they are in. Because their context and culture is telling them that there are things that are true and right and pure and excellent and praiseworthy. Just like our society is telling us there are things that are true, there are things that are right, and there are things that are pure. And they are telling you, think on these things. They are putting in front of you every single day saying, dwell and meditate on what we believe is excellent and true and praiseworthy. And Paul is dealing with the same reality. And he is saying to you, as he said to the Philippians, don't be guided by every thought. Question your assumptions. Question the thoughts that come into your mind. Interrogate them. Consider if they are good and praiseworthy or if they're just the latest thought that came into culture or came into your mind. 
Not every word is good that comes into your head. And this entire letter has been confronting their cultural assumptions and then turning them back towards Jesus to say, what does he have to say about it? It's important that you engage your thought because our tendency can be one of two things, I believe. One is just to make assumption about the thoughts we have. That I think it, I'm pretty smart, so it must be right. That is true of the majority of us in this room and the majority of New Yorkers. Because we pride ourselves on being intellectual, on being those who are more educated than middle America and the flyover states. We pride ourselves in thinking that because we have gone through that process, therefore my mind and everything that comes in it is good and right and perfect. And I can assume it's good and act on it without with just going, at, going after that. There is a worship of the intellectual self. Now, Christianity has too often been received as this check your brain at the door type of faith. But Christianity is the most intellectual of all faiths. It is a great challenge to think deeply and higher thoughts, not ignore your brain. We are not a check your brain at the door kind of operation. We are engage your brain at every thought that comes in to embrace that. But the second tendency is what I believe to be a ten- tendency of worry, where you let your mind wander to take you down a rabbit hole of a worry wonderland. And you allow for your thoughts to just take you adrift. And you never stop to wonder, is this leading me anywhere good? Is it guiding me into life? Is it guiding me into death? And the words of Paul is to say, take on a resurrection mind with your imagination. That if you imagine Jesus risen from the dead... And what that implication is that we talked about a couple weeks ago in regards to heaven. That heaven is not a distant place that we wait for or we go to when we die. But that heaven is amongst us. We're living in this world where heaven can invade earth. And he's saying engage your imagination. Fantasize about heaven. Being real and everywhere you go. That in every relationship you could think about what is true and right and pure and how heaven can invade earth in this moment. He's saying, think about these things. Have this holistic vision of God's heaven invading your earth. And what this imagination does in engaging your mind is saying, here's your rubric of what you should think about. When you look at another person, are you thinking, what is excellent about them? What is praiseworthy? What is honorable and admirable? As you think about yourself, are you letting that be the rubric about how you talk to yourself and the circumstances in your life? Are you thinking of them in terms of how bad or tragic or difficult they are? Or you're thinking and beginning to wonder, what could God do with this? If he raised Jesus from the dead, what could he do with this circumstance? So he's saying, engage your imagination into heavenly realms, not just into the earthly reality that you're facing. You must engage your imagination. But if God has a rubric of true, pure, right, and praiseworthy, 
and our world has one that is true, right, and excellent, how do we let our imagination be more like Christ than like culture? Because that is the battle. And what I think each of us need to do is take a step back and recognize that the battle has been lost already for most of us in our mind. That there has already been a shaping of our imagination that is more like our family's thoughts, more like the world's thoughts, by your workplace, by the culture. And there is a work that has to be done for our minds to be changed. And the language that Paul uses in another letter that I want to refer to in the moment is transformation. That your imagination must go through a process of transformation so that this is the thing you think on and meditate on regularly. That it becomes your go-to. And by transformation, I mean that you are allowing God, that's a key phrase, you are allowing God to renew your mind to Christ instead of conformity to the world. Now, I get that from another letter of Paul that he writes to the Roman church. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he's encouraging them to engage in their mind. And he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I say the phrase, allowing God. Because at the very beginning of this series, I said that you are choosing a Messiah, an anointed one, that you are channeling your desires and actions through. The same is true when it comes to your mind. All of us have allowed someone or many someones to inform and transform our minds. We are allowing people to speak in and tell us how we think. Now, I want to use an analogy. Sociologists have discovered that just by living in New York and walking the streets, you will become a faster walker than the rest of the world. And you don't need sociologists to tell you that, right? Because you know that when the tourists are in front of you, somehow three of them are covering up the entire sidewalk. You're just looking for the angle of how fast you can get around them. And when Google Maps tells you it's going to take you 15 minutes to walk to some place, you're like, oh, no, it does not, Google. I'm a New Yorker. Now, they studied that to say all that has to happen is that you have to live here. And by living here, you are caught up in a different pace of walking by being around other New Yorkers. Now, those studies go on to say that because you live here, you will also live longer and healthier. (laughs) New York or nowhere, right? (laughs) If that is true of the pace at which you walk, it is also true of how you think. That you get caught up in the thoughts and passions and ideas and philosophies of those around you. Who has shaped your understanding of success? Who has shaped your understanding of success in different areas? See, all of us have been shaped by different voices. What voice has shaped your understanding of economics and how money should be spent? 
What voices have shaped your understanding of sexuality and how that should be exercised in practice? On and on down the list, there has been voices in your head that have shaped the way that you think and it has guided the way that you live and what you lust after and what you want most. And Jesus says, I also have a voice in the matter. See, God is saying, I made your brain. I give you an imagination. I give you these thoughts. And they have been shaped and distorted. But I'm inviting you back. That they might be renewed and transformed. Your mind can be changed. Your brain can literally go through neuroplasticity and to be reformed so that your thoughts are his thoughts. Higher. His ways are better. Your ways can be better. This is the invitation. And I, what I want you to hear from, about this is that God's thoughts are not hidden. He's not secretive. He loves to speak to you. See, you may ask, why do we go to an ancient text for a modern world that don't often fit, right? But what the scriptures attest to and what happens when you listen to them is that you hear God's voice in them. That they have a different weight than the other words that you read. The scriptures say very clearly that they are his very breath of life to you. That they can reshape how you think, correcting you, guiding you, informing you, training you for everything you need for life and godliness. Now as a Christian... We can believe Jesus was resurrected and we can believe the Bible to be true and we can have none of it. And we can actually take the word of God and God's ideas and reshape them after our own image. I can say that because I did it. And then there was somebody who asked me this insidious question one time. I said, well, what does the Bible think about that? And I thought it was insidious because my answer was, I don't know. How dare you confront me with this lack of knowledge and my own ignorance? And when I lacked knowledge, what did I do? I said, God surely thinks like I do. God surely sees the world as I see it. If he made me and gave me this brain, surely what I think is right and good and perfect. And that question, what does the Bible have to say about this? became a new journey for me, just like it did for Paul, someone who had studied the Bible. He studied the Hebrew Scriptures and more, a greater ancient text even than our New Testament with such depth and veracity that he wanted to know all of this information. And then it took him 14 years to relearn what he thought he knew about it. Because when he saw Jesus, the risen Lord, he began to go, I need to see the scriptures anew as well. So I ask you an insidious question today. What does the Bible say about the things you're struggling with? What does the Bible say about your circumstances? What does the Bible say about the things that you want, the things you think you need, the things you're desperately after? It's okay if you say, I don't know. God is not mad at you for not knowing. He's incredibly gracious to you to invite you to come and say, learn from me. Like he did with the disciples.
He said, follow me. They had no idea what he meant by that. Even after four years of seeing him every single day, when he went to the cross, they didn't get what he had been teaching. Even after the Holy Spirit was put inside of them, they still had old ways of thinking about race and gender and how the world should act. And so over and over through the community of God, they began to wrestle together, which is why we have community groups, is that you would have a place where you voice your questions. You examine your doubts with us. You examine your life underneath the lens of the scripture. And you watch us do it as well. So that we repeatedly are renewed in our mind so that we listen to the voice of God. And Jesus' words say, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. First of all, how offensive of Jesus to call you sheep. But we are. We're sheep. We're sheep to a culture or we're sheep to Christ. Which is a better shepherd for your life? The testimony of the scriptures is that Jesus is the great shepherd. And it's good to be his sheep. And so for our imagination to begin to think of his thoughts, we have to go through the process of transformation, renewing our minds daily. And in doing so, what, what you're doing is you're receiving God's invitation. And by invitation, what I mean is that you're welcoming the presence of God to change your everyday practices. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, right after he tells you to think on these things, he says, what you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. His presence will be with you. The more you think on what he says is right and pure and excellent, the more you experience his presence in your life. And with his presence comes his peace. And it begins to reshape how you practice and how you live and what you do. In the same interview that Esther Perel was talking about, she went over and she started talking about her practice dealing with couples. That one, couple, one person of the couple had dealt with crazy trauma. And it had been guiding their marriage and their interactions. And that's why they were having difficulty. And as this person was exposing that trauma... She said, the work that we're going to try to do is that you might well be able to welcome the new you on the other side. I love that phrase. Welcoming the new you. It's a thing to dwell on. Not just because Esther Perel is brilliant, <laughs> but the truth of that is also the truth of the scriptures. See, it says whatever is true. It doesn't say that only God's word is what is true in this world. It says there is truth in the world that echoes the truth of the scriptures. And so you can dwell on these things. There's beauty in the world. There's beauty in the sunset. There's beauty in the brilliant city that we look at. Think, dwell on the beauty. Yes. Her words are echoing the words of scripture that in Christ you are a new creation. And that the more you are transformed, the more you are welcoming a new you. See, is Christianity defined by the cross or the resurrection? Well, welcoming the presence of, of God is going through the cross to get the resurrection of yourself. 
Because we have to go through this process of dying to the ways of self as salvation. We have to go to the cross and say, as Christ died, so I die and lay down my life. I lay down my understanding of how to live. So that through the resurrection, I might rise. I might rise to new ways of self, new ways of thinking, remade, renewed in Jesus. Even though my life will look to others as if it has the same structure, it will take on a new substance. That is the promise of going through the gospel. And in so doing, you are welcoming a new you in Jesus. And as you welcome a new you, you will begin to welcome a new view of God, a new view of others, a new view of this world. And that is the place I find to be of greatest joy, is when I think God's thoughts about myself. When I think God's thoughts of others, when I think God's thoughts of what the community of God is, the church, and not just my preferences and opinions about it. See, this is a resurrection mind that will manipulate success through Jesus. And the very beginning of this series, we said it requires a patient faithfulness. And I want to use a new phrase from Nietzsche who wrote in his book, Between Good and Evil, this quote. It says, The essential things in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction, that thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. A long obedience in the same direction. That is the work of spirituality, of taking your spirituality and channeling it through certain thoughts. Nietzsche was faithful to that statement, a long obedience in the same direction. Unfortunately, it was a long obedience in a different direction of Jesus. His last decade plus of life were found in isolation, fighting and combating mental illness that eventually took his life. It was a long obedience in the same direction, but it was not a long obedience in a successful or life-giving direction. And that's why in Christianity, the offer to you today to believe in Jesus is to channel all that spirituality. To be reminded that your Christian spirituality you can take on is to channel your energy through Christ to direct your desires and actions towards good as God defines it. And today, what we looked at is that Paul highlights it as a battle of the mind. That you would look to Jesus and say, Lord, I will let my thoughts die in your presence. That you would fill my mind with your thoughts and my life with your peace. Let's pray. Father, these are your children. You love each and every one of them as your son and your daughter. Holy Spirit, make that true for each of the minds in this room. 
Let them see themselves and this world as you see it. Open our eyes to things unseen. Open our eyes to heaven. And whatever thoughts in our mind need to die today, let them die at the foot of the cross so that your thoughts will rise in us. Spirit, take over our minds. Rewire our understanding of success. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.